0: Cross
1: comes in.
0: White with the header. And here comes Whitehead. It's gold for Great Britain.
2: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Trek and Ball Podcast with myself, Richard Whitehead. And myself, Ellen White. Ellen, who have we got on the show today?
1: Well, on today's podcast, we'd like to be joined by a double world champion, a two-time Olympic bronze medalist and a YouTube blogger with over... 850,000 subscribers. That's a lot, isn't it? 850,000? That's what we're aspiring to be. That's, that's yeah. in the near future for us. Um, this, this person is a true advocate for the LGBTQ community. He uses voice to speak out and help others. Um, he is a devoted husband and father, a keen Baker, and someone we are really excited to talk to, all about their achievements in the diving world, his life away from his sport, and a person behind the athlete. Today, we are joined by Mr. Tom Daly. Hi, Tom. Yeah. How's
0: that's it going, mate? You all right? I love that you got in there. I love baking as well. I love that.
1: <laughs> I thought I'd decide that in. You know, I watch a few of your your videos. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a, a obsessed with baking, watching Bake Off and, you know, trying all things in the kitchen. So.
1: Oh, but glad but before... I, found, I found someone that likes Bake Off. Do you know what? I speak to so many people that don't watch it, but I love it.
2: I love it. I'm obsessed. I like extreme baking. I like when they do the massive cakes. I think yeah. that's true, my sugar <laughs> rush. Yeah. I do
1: something like that. Just go to the next level of baking. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> anyway, so you've talked about baking, but what was this about knitting, Tom? Oh Come God. on,
0: that's oh. my it's my other obsession, and it's not just it's not just knitting now. It's crochet as well, and then I'm e- I'm even thinking about trying to get in a sewing machine to see. If, like it's weird because this lockdown has turned me into like a real crafter. <laughs> I started By I was on my way to a competition in Canada, and. It was it was lance my husband who said to me um oh you we should get back into doing our mindfulness things or doing something that we can like just escape from things because yeah. you know it's so hectic being a parent and an athlete and traveling and all that kind of stuff so once robbie's in bed doing something that we can unwind with and uh my husband said why don't you just try and just like start like knitting squares just to like do something to take i was like i don't know how to knit that's going to be time consuming and boring so anyway I, I went and bought some yarn and some needles and i downloaded a youtube video to learn to knit on my the flight on the way out there <laughs> and turns out lots of the divers knit and the diving coaches the russian divers um one of the coaches actually from uh our team knits so I, I, after all of those people that i spoke to I, by the time i came home i could do the basics and then i just did loads of youtube tutorials and now i'm obsessed
2: <laughs> so you've now turned it into a competition
0: yeah i i know Lance said that to me he was like why can't you just do something where you can just enjoy it right and not have to think about you know but now for me it's like oh i can't wait to finish this and oh i want to try this and i want to learn this part of it and it's i think it's just in an athlete's nature to take yeah. it to that competitive level
2: every single time we know what everybody's getting for christmas now then right <laughs>
0: yeah exactly
2: i have making hats i have been making scarves <laughs>
1: So let's get into like performance sport. Um, yeah. You obviously won your first world championships in 2009, age 15, and then again in 2017. What do you think it takes to be a world champion? And what do you think were like your main attributes in winning in both 2009 and
0: 2017? It's really interesting because I was in two very different points in my diving mm. career 2009 and 2017. Yeah. In 2009, I'd done my first Olympics the year before. And my whole mentality and what my coach was drumming into me was, you know, you're doing this for the experience right now. You're, don't think about winning. Don't think about getting the medals. This is all about experience. 2012 and beyond is where you're going to be reaching your potential. So just take in as much experience as possible. You know, learn from the good things, learn from the bad things and i think that mentality was what i went into 2009 world championships with of like oh well all of these people are twice my age and or up to twice my age and i can just go and enjoy it and i don't really have to think about it and going in with that attitude just allowed me to like let rip and just do Mm -hmm. it and just and i think that was what so without any expectation without any pressure i could just go and perform and i won because (laughs) the pressure got to everyone else but then flip that completely on its head as i once you do win the world championships then all the pressure's on you and to stay there is really really difficult and i mean it took me eight years to get back to winning a world title again but the fact that i then in between that had the olympic games which was a whole i'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute but that was a whole other kind of pressure and then 2016 i had the disappointment uh well happy to win a medal in the synchro but then didn't the individual didn't go how i wanted it to go but then going into 2017 it was a completely different mentality it was like i went in with a point to prove and it was like you know i know how i thought 2016 should have gone for me and uh, it went the complete opposite and i was like you know what 2017 i'm going to show you that actually it should have been me and it should have been me that was doing the the good stuff and I remember on in 2017, it was a completely different thing. In 2009, it was like, "Oh, let's do this for fun." In 2017, I woke up on that morning and I knew I was going to win, and it was the first time I've ever it's a good feeling, a right? When you just like you just know. I was <laughs> like, "Today's the day," and, yeah. and to mm. be honest, I didn't feel great. I had like a sinus infection, and so like my ears were squeaking when I were hitting, hitting the water and all that kind of stuff. But I was like, "No, today's the day. I'm it's happening," and it was like that mental. To to be honest, lots of it in sport, especially with something that's like a skill sport like diving or gymnastics. It's all about the mental space you're in, that all of the training is done weeks in advance. So it's just about where you are in that mental space.
2: And would you say consistency is part of um, your performance as well? We've we've recently had uh, Greg Woodford on the show and he talked a lot about his success at, at games was all about his consistency not only in competition but also in training and then he took that into the competition then he kind of knew how how it'd feel to to do those long jumps does it is that the feeling that you get when you get on the board and you kind of know what what kind of shapes that you'll make before your dive and you know how you'll hit the water etc
0: yeah exactly I mean the more there's there's different phases of our training like in any sport and we have like the high volume phases and then we like try and you know, whittle it down a little bit towards competition to try and get, the the aim is to be able to train like you compete. So in training, get consistently like high scoring dives and not really have any big wobbles because with the big wobbles, uh, in competition is exactly what you want to try and avoid. You get one chance. And the fact that every four years you get that like opportunity to just have like one chance or five years now, but, uh, that, (laughs) that is the the high pressure of it. So if you can be consistent in training, it just gives you that confidence knowing that going into competition, you know what kind of form you're in. But also I've been in, a com- been in competitions before where I've way outperformed how I've been training. So like for example, if I've had an injury for like a couple of weeks leading up to it and I haven't had the best training going into it, but I know that I've had the training before that to be able to like, Back me up a little bit if that makes sense so there, the yes the consistency uh comes into it a lot but i do think once you're on the diving board it's you know 85 a mental game mm.
1: and like order to be successful win things you've got to be surrounded by the right people to enable you to thrive like who is part of team tom and and how do you like assemble your team like what what does it take
0: oh gosh it's you know there's like yeah there's a whole it's like a village if you like uh, <laughs> it, i mean i well my husband is a massive support for me uh, with because with our son obviously i'm away traveling and doing and competing so my husband uh, is on his own with Robbie quite a lot uh, when i go traveling my mum does come up and help as well um at the back ends of the week so we're we'll be so that home team is is mm. like so important to for me to be able to go away and feel, you know, cause any parent that goes away and leaves, like, you always feel guilty because you're like, oh, I, I feel like I should be at home, but I also have to like work and do my job. Like there's, so there is always that, but knowing that he's at home with uh, Lance and my mom, that really, I dunno, it makes me feel a little bit better. Um, but it, I will talk about that a little bit later about how it's that's all changed my perspective on everything. Um, but in terms of my team, my coach, Jane, um, well it's been my coach since 2013 because in 2012 afterwards I I, you go from that massive high then I had like a massive low like a couple of months later and I just couldn't feel like I could get myself out of it Um, so I decided to make a massive change I moved to London I changed coach I just shook everything up so that in turn changed my uh, strength and conditioning coach it changed my nutrition it changed my physio it changed like well, pretty much every part of my um, team really. Um, And to be honest, um, one thing that I think has been really good is that my team is 90% women. And I think for me, (laughs) that made a massive, I I don't know how, I can't quite explain how, but it changed, it it made me go from an athlete that was plodding along to Mm. a professional athlete. And I feel like it was only after 2012 when I moved and I experienced what a professional athlete day in, day out needs to do and needs to go above and beyond that I felt like I started to get those progressions. And it was, yeah, my, like my nutritionist helped me massively. My, uh, my coach obviously changed so many things in my technique. Um, my uh, Well, my uh, also my psychologist, all of those kinds of things have helped me become the athlete that I am today. I was actually
1: going to say, you know, what, what kind of lessons have you learned on the way? Because, you know, from from this podcast, we, we always want people to whoever's listening to, to have like takeaways. So is there like lessons that you've learned on the way in like building your team, changing your team, developing your team and, and you yourself as well?
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's about never settle for second best. If something is not right and if your gut tells you that, you there could be something better or there could be someone better or there could be some, never just let it go by. Have the conversations, have those uncomfortable conversations because if you have those uncomfortable conversations earlier, it Mm. saves all of the headache of like, oh, now it's gone too far, now I can't say anything. Mm. And just being able to have that regular communication to set boundaries and to set your expectations of where you want to go and how you want to get there. And let, for me, it's about letting everyone know what my, like my attitude going into an Olympic year is, I am going to do every single thing possible, make every sacrifice and do anything and everything possible. So that when I stand on the diving board at the Olympic games, I know I've done Mm
1: -hmm.
0: everything that I physically can, like mentally could any, like absolutely everything. So I know that I have the best shot at doing my best and The team that surrounds me, I want them to have that same attitude and that same mentality. And my coach definitely does, um, and all my team around me does. And I think that having surrounding yourself with people that are, um, you know, the same have the same attitude and the same mentality as you really helps. Because if you have someone that is slightly half-assing it, then Mm -hmm. you're only ever going to be as good as your weakest person in your team. So you know, we need everyone to use their whole ass and not.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I remember meeting Jane in 2000, I think it was 2013 when I was obviously on, on splashing. She seemed, she seemed to be like a mentor as well. And she seemed to be be guiding you through your, your, your career. And I know when, um, when obviously we, we chatted on that show and we chatted about influences in, in your life. And obviously, sadly you lost your dad on the journey to 2012. Um, how how did how did his support then manifest in how you are as a as a father and as a husband now? it it must have been obviously a really tough time for you, but I know that um I know that now as a as a husband and as a dad, I, I, I think that resonates in who you are, doesn't it?
0: Massively. I mean, there were times when my dad would do things that I would find extremely embarrassing. He would cry after Yeah, like
2: obviously like what you do, mate. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those TikTok videos. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but,
0: like, he, would, he would cry after competitions, and I'd be like, oh dad, that's so embarrassing. a couple of you're doing this. But now being a parent, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't even imagine Robbie ever doing anything that I've and all of the effort that my dad had to go through in terms of taking me to training every day, organizing my training stuff, taking me to competitions, traveling and watching me here, there and everywhere all of that he was doing so much for me and it's not until you become a parent that you realize that and that's kind of what i was saying earlier that perspective of becoming a parent and realizing that that little human being is the most important thing in your whole world and being able to have that perspective it it just it's allowed me to enjoy diving again because i can go to diving and be like this is just a game it's a damn important one for me but it's just a game and I'm going to enjoy it and just, you know, it's I'm not going to be able to do this forever. So mm-hmm. why not just make the most of it, enjoy it, do what you need to do. And sometimes that perspective, well, since having that perspective, it's just allowed me to compete so much better. I don't worry about how, how the competition's going to go. I just execute. I just go do it rather than mm-hmm. thinking. Well, what if this happens, what are people going to think? And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to come home to Robbie and he's going to be there, you know, one in a cuddle and he's not even going to care whether I've done well or if I've done bad, but it's more about, you know, I guess showing him an example of like, you can work hard for anything and you can achieve it.
1: Oh, definitely. Um, and, you know, what was like your mindset going into to like London 2012, for instance, like, especially, you, know, you just spoken about, your, you know, the influence your dad had and his influence, like, what was your mindset going into that games?
0: Yeah, that was. It was such a, a whirlwind of a time. I mean, I remember going into it. It was, I mean, it was all the hype and all of the expectation and all of the pressure because mm. you know it was London 2012. Everyone in the UK was talking about the Olympics coming up, and you know I would see people in the streets that would be like, "Oh, you're going to go bring home the a medal for us," and you know thinking it was going to be as easy as turning up, doing my dives, and coming home with a medal, and. There was, there was an unbelievable amount of pressure, even going into the last day, diving hadn't won a mm. medal yet. And our performance director said, Tom, we need to win a medal. If we don't win a medal, oh, well. we lose our funding. And I was like, oh, that's pretty helpful. Yeah, <laughs> wow. <laughs> this competition. But it was, I remember putting like the prelim didn't go uh, exactly how I wanted it to go. It was like a pretty disastrous prelim. I mean, I made it through comfortably. But then the semi-final again, wasn't that great. And it wasn't until I was walking out in the for the final and I saw like there's 18,000 people cheering in the crowd and it was, and I saw like my family, my mum and my brothers at one end of the diving pool, like screaming. And I was like, this is the moment that I've dreamed of since I drew a picture in a book when I was nine years old, <sighs> with, like saying London 2012, that I was going to be in the Olympics. And why am I so nervous? Why hmm. am I much pressure on myself this is a moment that I thought I was going to want more than anything enjoy more than anything and I was like you know what yeah let's have some fun here let's forget about you know the fact that this is the Olympics this is what I've dreamed of my whole life why torture myself through the whole experience why not just enjoy it and I think when I get to that stage of being able to enjoy competition that's when I perform my best
2: and it's such a great stage as well <clears throat> I've I've been lucky enough um to obviously go into into that that pool and see that and, and go off the boards as well and um it's it's one of the best kind of venues that i've ever been at and you're like in a spaceship uh yeah. you're on that 10 meter board and apart from pooing your pants you look at it <laughs> and you go this is incredible and i think as a as a platform for success uh, everybody looks for that platform to show the world who they are and I think you definitely did. What age were you at, th- at that stage of your career? Uh, in 2012, I was
0: 18. So, so yeah, it was such a like massive a amount of pressure, wasn't it? Yeah,
2: such a massive amount of pressure. And and at that stage as well, you'd already done your synchronized dive, right? Yes, in 2012. And, uh, yeah. And I know that um, at that stage as well, you did receive quite a lot of abuse online because of. And I wasn't. Um, I wasn't aware of. Uh, the kind of abuse and the trolling you can get from social media probably until 2012 so the positive thing when people get behind you but also the negative side how did that that then affect you going forwards into the games towards your obviously your main event
0: you know it's it's interesting because I kind of couldn't believe believe like how people could say things that are uh, I I struggle to imagine someone ever saying that to someone's face or like, be, like the things that you hear on social media saying it to someone's face. So for me, it was like a wake up call to be like, why am I even looking, why am I even giving any of these people, any of this attention? Why am I, like, don't even bother ever replying. I don't even block people that say horrible things anymore because then it makes them think, oh, well they, he saw it and he blocked them. <laughs> like it was, yeah. so I didn't even give anyone the time of day to be honest. Um, You know, I scan through comments. I don't really uh, take them to heart, good or bad, because, you know, I feel like social media can be a very dangerous place. You can, um, if you are only flooded with great comments or if you're flooded with bad comments, you know, the negative comments can make you feel bad about yourself. The positive comments can, you know, do the opposite. And I think that's not good either way. It's not great for you. And I think for me, I just use social media as a platform to let people know what I'm doing, how I'm feeling and... Um, I don't really care so much about how the numbers are growing or if they're shrinking or if they've got enough likes, Like I don't care about any of that stuff because to me that's none of that is important. No, definitely not.
1: Yeah. I think that's a great mindset to have because it it, it can be really challenging. It can affect performances. It can affect you kind of mentally as well, your mental health as well. So I think that's a really great mindset. So in your individual event, I hope I'm getting this right. So you did a difficulty of 3.3. Is that right for your final dive? Yes. And then your other two fellow competitors had 3.6. Yes. Is there I, I don't I don't want to be naive, but can you is is your dive like set in stone? Do you ever have a conversation with your coach about changing your dive? Um, you know, through the competition or is it just set? Like so the structure?
0: You, yeah, you have to put your dive sheet in 24 hours before. Yeah. So and then they're, they're set. Yeah. So throughout the competition, I had the same degree of difficulty. I just did them in a slightly different order. Because right. that dive at the end is my most consistent dive. No, yeah. I know that I can perform that dive under pressure and get you know close to hundred points, mm-hmm. ninety-five plus, most of the time. Yeah. So, given any normal circumstance, it prob- it would have been enough. Uh, but they the other two managed to do their dive like incredibly well, which was yeah. an amazing competition to actually be a part of. Um, but also, funnily enough, the year after they increased that dive dives difficulty that i did by point one Ugh. um the year after which wasn't helpful at the time but, no. <laughs> um so it's again it's one of those things that throughout the whole six dives that's mm. where where each all of the six dives are important mm. you, you know you can mess up any of the dives throughout and you can have the degree of, i open up with quite a high degree of difficulty yeah and then get gradually lower and so now now kind of i have kind of changed my tactic a little bit where i open up with a the dive that I finished on in London 2012, I now mm-hmm. start with.
2: Right. Um,
0: and I also, the next dive I do is also a lower degree of difficulty. And then I have all of my difficult dives at the back end of the competition. So that's good in a way that I have lots of difficulty to get more points, but also it's at the time of competition where you feel most tired. So there is a risk to doing it like that, but it gives me the best chance to still be in contention. Even if I'm like five, 10 points behind, I know that I can still beat people with its great mm-hmm. it i have again mm.
1: <clears throat> what was that feeling like when when you knew you got the
0: bronze medal i mean right. I, when I mean, I knew you threw yourself into the middle. pool i saw that yes <laughs> well there was that it was, well I, I when i knew i had done enough to get a medal i because if i knew if i landed vertical that it was going to mm. be enough for a medal and I remember hitting the water and thinking, like I felt like I could have done like a dolphin out of the water, like <laughs> up in the air and I could have done that. But I, I just remember just thinking, like, oh my goodness, I've done it! Like this, all of this work, all of this like time, this effort, all the sacrifices, all the hardships—it was fu- like it was worth it. I'm gonna co- go- come away with an Olympic medal around my neck, and you know, at, at a certain point, yes, of course, everybody wishes for a gold one, but when you just know that you're getting an Olympic medal, it's just, it's just something special that you dream of from such a young young age. And it's it's interesting because you ask some, you ask Olympians and Paralympians, like, would you rather win a world championship gold or just win any Olympic medal? And there's just something that's so prestigious about an mm-hmm. Olympic medal, Paralympic medal, that it's very, I, I don't know, it just supersedes any any other achievement.
1: And when you're stood up on that 10 meter board like what what are you actually thinking about like you, have you got a process that you go through as you're walking up the steps and then you get to the board
2: yeah let me those, tell you those, what those. i thought about when i was on the 10 meter board <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Please, it's interesting because it depends what i'm in training it's quite different to competition but really it's i do lots of visualization before i go up the stairs and things like that and like physical run-throughs but when i'm on the board i actually just focus on my breathing because if i'm able to like just get to a point where i'm kind of calm but i've got enough adrenaline that i know that i'm going to do a dive well it's just about bringing yourself back to the present moment not getting ahead of yourself thinking oh what if this happens or how i need to land this way or i need to do this because there's so many things that happen before you get to that point so you just have to try and stay as present as possible.
2: What what kind of things um, added pressure uh, to you at London? Do you think being like a poster boy, I remember seeing lots of pictures of you in your speedos. I mean, Adidas trunks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all over the place. Was that an added pressure going into the games and or was that just a the platform then to just get your story out there and, it's, and it's make a future like for to, yourself? Like,
0: again leading into it I just didn't think about it I didn't I still never read any news articles I don't watch any anything back like like, I hate to say it but I probably won't listen to this back because I I just don't like listening like I don't like listening to myself talk about my diving career I don't like um talk like seeing what people have written about me and I don't like seeing what people have filmed at me like I I I will watch back competitions to analyze it from a performance point of view. But other than that, I just don't, you know, it's- What's the
2: funniest thing that's been written about you? I have no idea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I still find it funny that there's like been news articles written about the fact that I knit and crochet. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, that's me. Like if you had told me that this time last year that I was gonna be like obsessed with knitting and crochet I would have been like, what are you talking about? What, well, what is that? <laughs> yeah.
1: um, this is a question for Rich cause it, it, I've read something about, about you talking about the aftermath of kind of 2012 but like are there any moments and feelings you know, after a major competition where you've Paralympics that you felt like quitting or not wanting to continue running?
2: Yeah, um, after major games, especially after you've been successful, you, you kind of get really flat. And um, the adrenaline goes, the mm. kind of aurora of the games and, and being in the village with all, the, all your, your mates kind of disappears. And then you kind of come home, and yes, it's great to be back home with your family and friends, but then all of that goes. And it's trying to then um, replicate that is mm. really hard. Do you have the same kind of feeling when, when you
0: come? Oh, open? absolutely! Like after 2012, I really struggled, mm-hmm. and it was, it was interesting because, you know, I, obviously I'd always dreamed of winning an Olympic medal, and I thought that was what I wanted in my whole life. That's all I wanted, and I was just thinking about London 2012, London 2012, and I didn't think beyond that at all. So once that was all over, I found myself like really in like a hole, like a post-Olympic blues kind of thing, and I was yeah. like how can I be like upset and mad and like not happy about the fact that I'm an Olympic medalist? And then who do I talk to, to that would even understand the fact that, you know, I can't talk to any of my teammates because they didn't win an Olympic medal. And, and I'm going to say, oh, I feel really like rubbish about how I'm like, and diving on and they, They'd be like, shut up. You just won an Olympic medal. Like, what are you talking about? I would have given, you know, anything to be able to do that. And it's like just so then you're like stuck in a hole of not being able to have anyone around you that understands. So I was like going like my diving career was like I was like you know what I can't do this anymore. I need to like get away. I can't do it. Uh, So to the point where like I stopped for a little bit and was like okay um, maybe I need to start looking into something else I'm gonna do. And I started doing more TV stuff. And I went to um, and that was when I went to LA to do uh, some stuff for Nickelodeon. And that's when I met my now husband. And it was the first time that I'd met someone that understood how, like, the, what I was feeling at that time, Because he had won an Oscar at a young age, and after winning an Oscar, again, in his field, if you tell someone that you're feeling really crappy after you've just won an Oscar, they're like, what are you talking about? You've won an Oscar. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. over the moon with this. Yeah. And he understood how I was feeling at that time, and then... You know, we'd both lost uh, people that were really close to us and, like, we just connected on a completely different level. And it's, that really, for me, felt like it rebooted my diving career because I felt like I wasn't alone.
2: Yeah, you and, and and I think at that time as well, you need to be around like-minded people that can obviously empathise em, empathize around you at this yeah. scenario. Did you think that gave you uh, added confidence um, talking about those issues that were really uh, close to your heart?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like, and I think the fact that I lost my dad in 2011 and obviously I was thinking about the Olympics and I was just so tunnel vision. I I never gave myself a chance to grieve or never gave myself a chance to stop, talk about it, think about it because I knew that it wasn't going to be helpful because I knew I had to get to the Olympics and I knew I had to perform well. So it wasn't until like I was able to talk to someone that might understand that I was like, oh, like I really have been, I've really kept this locked away and I've really not you know, had a chance to deal with it. So I think that I, in itself as well was something that was able to like, I felt not like I felt like I was being pinned down, but like you do have no. to, feel you and you do have to talk about it in order to be able to
2: feel and It like, gives you a that platform, doesn't it? And especially you yeah. talked a lot about uh, homophobia. And I know that um the Commonwealth, some of the Commonwealth countries were obviously their stance on that. You've been, you've been very vocal on that and that's, And that's something that I know you're really passionate about. And Mm. actually, I've got a a message from somebody that says, how does an athlete with all the structure and mental toughness of an elite athlete deal with with a freaking filmmaker husband who (laughs) who who is paid to be an emotional madman who thrives... On discover, uh, discoveries pulled from chaos, and this is from somebody called Dustin Lance Black. <laughs> do, you, do you know that person? <laughs> no. no, no. <laughs> yeah, um, he definitely is crazy, and he definitely. <laughs> up
0: and down <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's the interesting thing, though, is we are so opposite in that sense. Like, you know, athletes are so, well, most of the time, I find that we're very like we're gonna wake up at this time, this is the routine, this is the structure that I need, we're gonna do this, this and this, yeah. and like to have a plan and know where we're going. Whereas Lance is very much a creative, likes to go with the flow, um, feels things like in a different way because he has to be able to emote that and put it onto paper and all that kind of stuff. So we are very different in those in that sense. And I guess that's where like opposites attract and we'll be able to balance each other out in that way. Um, but you know, it's it's also good to, yeah. I mean, Lance knows that it can be a challenge sometimes. But and he finally. you've a got some work to, work
2: to do at home as well because he's been looking after your Robbie.
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I'm I'm always like, okay, Lance. Lance will say, oh, okay, I need to, I need to go to the gym and today and do a workout. Uh, even an example this morning, like bearing in mind it was an hour, and Lance was going to go and run a five k, and it was an hour and a half before this call and i said like, oh lance remember i've got a call at 11 he's like oh well i'm not gonna be able to run today then <laughs> go like, no, <laughs> you go your run. you've got an hour and a half you should do it in th- at least 30 minutes get out there now and he's like oh no 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 i won't have enough time and i was like don't go make an excuse now and then try, like, holding accountable for his workout goals that's for sure and which uh, I'm sure he doesn't really appreciate, but kind of does, maybe.
2: <laughs> Let's talk about Splash, mate. Let's talk about Splash. Um, <laughs> so.
0: To come up the stairs. <laughs> I see like, yeah. talking about me. Uh, he's, he's, so, well, he's, there he is. That was a damn exaggeration. <laughs> <laughs> I came two and a half minutes flat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <this>, going your watch.
2: Villain. <laughs> an accurate watch. <laughs> that is villain. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> so, so splash-wise, right? All I want to know is who was your favourite contestant and who was useless. That's all I want to you know.
0: Were the, you were the best, you are the best. <laughs> like,
2: like,
0: you were the only one who did, like managed to do a handstand and like was just like yeah, I'm going to do it. Like the first that's, time, we were, like yeah, all. go for it. And it was it was really interesting to see actually who you were would think would be. A really good diver and who actually was because sometimes people would surprise like for people that had dance backgrounds or gymnastic backgrounds or sporting backgrounds of course you're gonna have some awareness of your body to be able to do it but because diving is something that comes so natural to me like in terms of I don't have to think about falling off the board and landing on my head or whatever but it was interesting to actually see how difficult it actually is for people from scratch um, because there's one thing having awareness of your body when you're like standing on the ground but when you're up on you know 10 meters high even three meters high and you know you've got to be aware of your body in the air because once you've taken off there's not really that much that you can do to I mean there's little bits and bobs here and there that you can do to slow yourself down but there isn't really much so it was really interesting for me to watch how some people how people dealt with fear some people were yeah. really terrified about it some people were like you know what? i'm just going to go for it i don't care so that was that was the interest i had
2: nightmares i had nightmares about a blooming 10 meter border seriously i had nightmares yeah. but then that didn't help from the day before seeing Gemma collins jump in yeah, no, she, <laughs>
0: yeah I, I mean i remember on the live show she had these big bruises just like from oh, where yeah. she was wow. smacking the water but yeah, you know she was she was quite the quite the character
2: on Splash, bless her.
1: <laughs> I'm still waiting for Rich to show me some videos of him diving, actually.
2: Yeah. Speedos <laughs> and
1: everything. I'm waiting for yeah. it,
2: Rich. Yeah, you, you don't want to see those, mate. They're very <laughs> they tight. Came up with quite some costumes, didn't they? Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were very revealing. Mine were too <laughs> tight. I was. I kept t- telling them, look, I need them a bit looser. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's a, that's the thing. It's like what it's. For us divers, we can't, the reason we wear things that are so tight is because you don't need anything out of place and you don't need anything yeah. in, in a... <laughs> that,
2: you don't any, need any accidents, TV. right?
0: Yeah, 35 miles an hour and something out of place is not so...
1: Not so comfortable. <laughs> After, <laughs> Becky, Becky Aglinton was talking we spoke to her and she said that literally she's dived in once and then just her boobs just popped out and like she's like so thankful that they're like they're not filming under her lane like yeah I can't, I can't They are so,
0: yeah those those swimsuits that they wear the swimmers oh my gosh they are they are incredibly tight because they have mm. to try and be as aerodynamic like or i guess not aerodynamic cuz they're in the water but hydrodynamic i guess is the yeah. word but they have to be like
2: as streamlined as possible mm. so it is really interesting to to see that nothing like that's happened to you then tom has it you're not lost your oh, shorts or anything yes
0: like forgetting to tie my trunks up and they i've been in competition before where they've come around my ankles <laughs> and, they've, <laughs> and they've like they've it's been up on the big screen where like they felt luckily from the back you just see my backside on the screen and i'm like, <laughs> and I'm, like, up, so I'm, like pull up my trunks <laughs> I mean, yeah. So uh, I definitely remember to do my chunks up from now on.
1: <laughs> is it is it true that the um, the British swimming chief executive, kind of based on Splash, said that you'd risk winning Olympic gold in the future if you were to to take part in it?
0: Oh yeah. Uh, was it David Sparks at the time? I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's uh, put it this way British yeah they've they've never been quite on my side about anything put it that way mm. um so it's yeah I'm all here and happy to do everything for the young kids and and all that kind of stuff um but they've definitely not been one of my supporters put it that way <laughs>
2: and, <laughs> and did that did that, did that affect but- did that affect your relationship with them moving forward as well was that
0: Oh, oh yeah it, it, I mean yeah it continues to be a problem and I think it happens with uh, lots of their athletes um sure. I don't think they well often they don't understand what it is to be an athlete and mm-hmm. what how much course, we yeah. have to sacrifice and what our families put into it and they don't yeah. treat people's families as um, people that are crucial to us being yeah. able to do what we do so yeah' they've they've never quite understood that I don't think.
2: No, I definitely agree with that. And then, obviously, you from from doing like splash, and you're now into the cycle going into Rio. Um, how was that cycle different for you? Was there any real changes um, with your training, etc.?
0: I think the biggest change was uh, my coach. So my like my training schedule changed, my intensity changed, like just loads of things were were changing. And I was also like kind of became the athlete that I am now in terms of like my understanding of nutrition, of strength and conditioning, uh also just the understanding of um like like mentally what space I needed to be in, also like my technique and also like I I ended up finishing growing kind of thing. So by the between 18 and 22 was kind of like the time where you stop growing and you start to develop the body that you're going to have as an as an adult uh, because obviously when you're 18 you're still Still kind of growing still kind of developing so that i think made me a lot stronger to be able to finish my dives a lot better
1: and you competed in the the men's synchro one bronze with, yeah. with dan goodfellow do you think the work you both put in like moving into the games um like the consistent performances like really kind of helped you both kind of get that medal
0: oh massively because every competition that we did in 2016 we came away with a medal mm. so it was a very consistent year for us our scores were always good and I think that um, helped a lot and then also six weeks before we left for the games Dan moved in with me as well so oh, wow. like we were able to um, train together we lived together and we just tried to do everything uh, so that we could get the best performance possible mm-hmm. and, you know thankfully I mean it was a close one but we we did so it was we were pretty happy with that.
2: It must be important to have a real close relationship with with your sync uh, partner. Then at that point, and uh, talk to us about how that comes about. Is it something that you kind of choose, or is it your coach? How do you get a, a partner? And then, what kind of attributes make a good synchro partner?
0: Yeah, it's a bit of everything, really. There's a, like there's lots of in, like things that influence it, but really, like it comes down to you have to be able to do the same dives. So currently in the UK, there's only two people that I would have a choice of doing synchro with. Um, And right now my synchro partner is a guy called Matty Lee, and he moved down from Leeds to London to train with me full time two years ago now. And basically to be able to do the same dives, kind of have a similar technique. um, And because if you have a similar technique to be able to stand next to each other and go one, two, three, go, you don't really have to think about much else other than Mm -hmm. that. Obviously, at the beginning, there's some little timing tweaks and things like that. But once you're in the air, you've got to do your own dive. So if you're mm-hmm. if the two of you are next to each other and you kind of look similar and you kind of have a similar technique, it makes it so much easier for them, the judges to be like, oh, they look like two people doing the same dive. Whereas even with Dan, although we were very successful, we did have a similar technique at the start. But then Dan was a lot smaller than I was and he span a lot faster than I did. So it, the spin speeds were often a little bit off, but um, as long as we came in vertical and we were the same distance from the board, it would, uh, the judges would still go with us. Um, but now with Matty, uh, my spin speeds are the same uh, as his, Like as his, so our synchro scores tend to be slightly higher.
2: Do you know what I just remembered, Ellen, is that when um, I, because I used to, I used to be a swimmer, Tom, and I, um, I swam at Crystal Palace and I met Jason Statham when he was a diver. Yes, cuz he used to dive uh, yeah, he used to dive at Crystal Palace. Yeah, I've just just remember just when you were talking. Then I went I need to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> and and my first so I don't I can't remember who his partner was at that point. But then they invited us to do a couple of dives and I think I went off the three metre board and just like belly flopped in, I think. And
0: uh... <laughs> yeah, no. very, um, he I think he d- he dived at the Commonwealth Games as well. I can't remember which ones. I believe they were in Malaysia, but like a long time ago. But yeah.
2: Jason stayed in me. <laughs> <In, in, laughs> that's a little
1: diver out of all the that's balls.
0: it. He's, he's
2: done all right since, hasn't he? He's done all right. Yeah, he's done all right, I guess.
1: <laughs> obviously we're we're living in some strange times at the, at the moment um and tokyo's kind of you know moved um it's getting closer now obviously um what what are your aspirations for for obviously tokyo like is it the gold medal like how is your training going at the moment in preparation for for obviously the games
0: I think th- this year, I think is it feels to me like a bonus year because it's a year that we weren't meant to have as an Olympic mm-hmm. year. We never get the chance to restart an Olympic year. Um, and I think going into this, the year that would have been an Olympic year, I started it with a broken hand. Uh-huh. I started it so I was already on the back foot. Like I wasn't uh, like the things that were happening. I, I had lots of things that I could have learned from in order to be able to have the best year. So I do think of it as like a, a bonus of like a, you know what? have a restart and that for me I think is you know I think everyone can take it as they will but I think everybody can learn from what they were doing if they were doing good keep going if they weren't change it um but going into that competition like I said before I'm going to give everything I've got this this year um I don't have an outcome target because I know that I will be happy if I get to the the Olympics and I've done everything that I can if I've done everything that I can. I know that I'm just going to go there and dive enjoy it and just um you know obviously I'm going to give it my best shot but you know I the the most the proudest achievement I'll have is the fact that my husband and my son will be there watching and awesome. I think that uh perspective will give me uh, the chance to actually just enjoy it and dive like I dive like I did back in 2009 when I won the world championships without worrying without care and just being able to have fun
2: and is your target within in diving still top of the podium is that still i'm not talking obviously just about tokyo because i don't want to put pressure on you like that but
0: um
2: just (laughs) just generally is is that is that yeah
0: like i'm you know i i think injuries is going to be the one thing that i that i have to try and avoid as an older athlete now and i think just being able to um yeah, I think, of course, I want to be the best in the world. I think, you know, any athlete that goes into a competition saying that they want otherwise is lying. Of course, you want to be the best that you can be. So, um, and I think, but with that comes the preparation and the fact that I've just got to go in there and give it my best shot. So, but yes, that is the, that's always the goal.
2: And what would you like to be remembered for? Do you know, if you, so the, the Tom Daly, um He's, he's now retired as as an athlete and uh, lots of lots of uh, sportsmen and women and, and the general members of public have followed your career. Um, when I when I spoke about this in in the past, it's been more about me and not the sport. What would you like your legacy to be?
0: Um, I'd like to think that people, especially young people that are growing up, if they feel slightly different to their peers if they feel like they're an outsider and they feel like they're less than all the people around them and they don't quite fit in if you feel like a little bit of a misfit that you still can do the best that you can be about anything you choose to do yeah. and you know because for me I always felt like I didn't ever quite fit in and I was always slightly different and I couldn't quite figure out why until obviously later on in my life but I I think being able to be the figure of someone that you know even if you feel like you don't fit in there is a place for you there is a family for you and there is there are people that will support you and you will be able to achieve your wildest dreams if you just dream the impossible
2: awesome well That's we're going amazing, to finish yeah. off like we do with um all the podcasts so we have 10 quick questions tom great quick fire questions to okay finish. i'm ready okay do you want to do the first one else
1: okay so it's track or ball
2: uh, track. I can't catch off. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's the greatest accomplishment in your life? Becoming a parent.
1: Do you believe in ghosts?
2: No. Okay. And what's the biggest risk you've taken? Uh, learning a new
0: dive a year before the Olympics.
1: Wow. Okay. Can you sing?
0: No, (laughs) that's an easy one.
1: But karaoke, if you're getting up there,
0: karaoke. I'm always up for karaoke.
1: What would be your song?
0: Gosh, that's a good one. Oh. um... You know, Estelle, American Boy, I always oh. used to sing that, always sing that yeah. with my friend Sophie. How,
2: how, yeah. how does that go, Tom? How does that oh, go? Well, we ain't going there.
0: Let's <laughs> 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 have, have at
2: least three margaritas before we get there. <laughs> <laughs> maybe after the other <laughs> yeah. thing. When are you the happiest?
0: Um, when I'm at home eating at the table, after, maybe something after something we've baked with my husband and Robbie.
1: The silliest thing you've ever got upset about...
0: Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, at the time it didn't feel silly, but now looking back at it is silly. I, when I was younger, I did a competition where I my legs buckled, I fell off the board and I landed like on my bum, failed a dive and then I came out of the pool crying and screaming and I think I nearly pushed one of the other divers in just because they were like in my path where I bolted for <laughs> the fire exit door and ran outside. <laughs>
2: Is that on Um, YouTube? No, No,
0: unfortunately, that's not on YouTube. I think it was before the days of (laughs) accessible video cameras back in like 2002 or something. I don't know.
2: Where do you see yourself in 10 years time?
0: Oh, I'd love to be, I'd love to have like a fitness studio near a beach somewhere and be a fitness instructor during the day and like a, Crochet designer by night. <laughs> that sounds
1: amazing. That does. Yeah. How would your friends describe you?
0: Um, oh gosh, depends which ones you ask to be honest. Um, I think they would say I was um, quite um, weird. Uh, I think they would say I was like the organizer so like I'm the one who like if something's going to happen, I probably would have to be the one to organize it. Um, so I guess you could say a leader, a weird leader that um, is always eating. <laughs> and <guess>. last <laughs> but
2: not least, uh, what's your greatest fear?
0: Oh, greatest fear. That's a good one. And that's a, oh, that's a tough one. I'd like to think I wasn't scared of anything, but that's very not true. I mean, to be honest, I, I would have to say my greatest fear is diving. I find it, I still to this day find it terrifying. And I think if you ask most divers, when you're standing on the end of the board, it is a very terrifying, no matter how many times you do it, you always know the the risks. And I think that for me is always a, it's part of the reason why I love it, because I like scary movies and I like the adrenaline rush of things. I have roller coasters. So the things that scare me the most are the things that I always want to try and confront. So um diving i
2: would say was a thing i'd be fearful of most and confrontation i'm not very good at confrontation oh, wow. <laughs> awesome thank you for your time tom you've been a great guest very informative and very open really appreciate your time no thank you for having me thank you tom so i don't know about you ellen but i'm going to do things from now on full-lost not half-lost <laughs> <laughs> what is that is that is... your
1: new motto in life
2: I think it might be. What an inspiring (laughs) chat with Tom. He's he's a nice guy, isn't he? And he's very relatable to performance sport, but also those listeners and viewers that maybe have got that change in their life, whether it's being a a new dad or getting married and how that has an impact on on sport.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think um, he was talking about how more settled he felt um, and also being surrounded by the right people I think that was a really nice thing that he spoke about was his coach obviously his husband his support network his family having those conversations and and almost everyone on the same page I think is so important with the people that you are surrounded by I'm sure you're the same with the with the people that you're surrounded by as well
2: and the team is as important as the individual and for. An individual event such as his platform dive to then his synchro it was very interesting about the different mindsets and his partner living with him to try and get that fluidity around the thought process some real key messages around communication and and tolerance as well having to tolerate somebody else like his his partner moving in with his husband (laughs) and Tom I wonder what that was like.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Must have been very interesting, yeah. And I think I think there's so many takeaways. Um, you know, we've spoken to so many guests, but again with Tom, so many things that, that young athletes, people coming through in the diving world or just athletes in general or people that, that are doing recreational sport as well will really, you know, take away some, some really amazing things that he spoke about. And, um, you know, a lot resonated with us as well. And every guest that we have on, I feel like we come away and we're like, wow, like, I want to do this maybe I'll change something about the way There's I train yeah definitely
2: so everybody remember to subscribe and we really want your feedback this is your podcast we've had some great guests up to now uh, any feedback uh, regarding who you want on your show uh, please get in touch Ronnie Sullivan, Greg Rutherford, Becky Adlington have been our guests up to now and we've got some really exciting people coming up as well haven't we Ellen?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, make sure you check it out. Um, definitely subscribe and also socials at Track and Ball Pod. So, thanks again for all your support and we'll see you soon.
0: Cross comes in, White with the header. And here comes Whitehead. It's gold for Great Britain.